This week's episode is brought to you by... It's the Black Men Building Wealth Virtual Conference, coming February 2020. You ready? It's lit. Or to the cloud. Let's do it. Yep. Tweet Talk, episode 27. It's lit. Yep, 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 yep. We um week before Christmas. And I will be glad when it's passed. Why? No, I just I mean Christmas is all good, man. It's just it'll be easier to focus once it's all gone. Yeah. Yeah. I like it though, man. I was in the New York today, twenty degrees outside, like wow. coldest day of the year. Doing some last minute shopping and stuff. Crazy. That's cool though. I love this time of year actually. Love yeah, it gets it gets in the fifties out here and we're like, nah, fam, it's too cold. <laughs> yeah, t- today with a rough one. All right, so I like that drop you sent me, by the way. Um let's start off with this tweet. It it didn't get I didn't it didn't get much engagement, I see. And it was like one of the regular tweets we talk about, but I, I, I kind of felt like talking about this one. You said, when I started out, I just took what they gave me. <laughs> I, feel like you need, I feel like you should talk about that a little bit. You know, what's interesting is uh, that was actually a Drake line. Drake said that. He was like, yeah, when I started out, I just took what they gave me. And I realized that like the same thing is kind of true like in my career. Like, you kind of pay your dues. You got to get in um, doing the stuff that's not so glamorous. You got to start small. Your goals might be tall, but you got to start where you can. And then I also realized just in listening to that Earn Your Leisure uh, podcast this morning, like, he's doing million-dollar deals now, but he started off just doing house by house. He started off just doing, like, buying a lot and developing on that lot or doing a rehab. And then also you see all these these dudes like Investor or um, – Mr. Monopoly, and these guys are doing big 50, 60, 30 unit developments now where they started out just doing like single family flips. And so, I mean, it even goes back to uh, Samuel Jackson. I always talk about like Samuel Jackson's first role was a crackhead. Right. And you look at all these people who they never turned their nose up at an opportunity. They did whatever was in front of them. The ugly stuff, the not pretty stuff. And then you get to the point where you can do what you want to do. And so, it's not so much like getting the perfect opportunity as much as it's, it's just like getting an opportunity and then parlaying that opportunity into something greater. And so like, that's something that, that I kind of practice. And so it's cool when you're listening to like successful people say stuff and they're saying like, Hey, like in the beginning, you just gotta kind of get your foot in where you can, like even where I'm, where I am now, like I'm not exactly in my career where I even really want to be. I'm making the best of what I have. I'm growing what I have. Um, and then we're, launching into bigger and better things and the same thing is true with real estate like the goal wasn't to be in Detroit the goal was to do real estate and now real estate which is a transferable skill is allowing us to invest where we want to invest and so you got to get what you can get and then you got to grow so many people they're just looking for like if it's not if it doesn't look like this I don't want it if it doesn't look like perfection I don't want it if it doesn't look like what my actual end result goal looks I don't want it and they don't get what they want 
or they try to take shortcuts to what they want. They start trying to wrap and ball and uh, sell drugs to get there. Yeah, can't start over the top, man. Um, so let me ask you something. You got the Todd Capital shirt on. When you first started the Todd Capital uh, Stock Investment Group, for those who listening who don't know, Todd Capital pretty much started off as Stock Investment Club. Yeah. Um, when you first started off, like what, what were you buying? What was the group buying? We were buying index funds. That was like the foundation. I told people, let's establish a foundation of index funds and then build on top of those index funds. And so we were buying the S&P index and the Dow, and the Dow Industrial Index. That's what we bought. And we bought those via ETFs. Um, and then we kind of established that foundation. So we had a base and we know, hey, at the bare minimum, we got 10, 20 grand just sitting here that's getting us 10 to 15%. And then on top of that, we started taking risk. We started buying um, Tesla, Under Armour. And we, we dipped our toe inside of some, uh, some uh, IPOs. But the goal, and this is kind of a principle that I took from a random walk down Wall Street, is index funds can really give you the return that you want. A lot of people would think they have to be ultra stock pickers, but they looked at the data, they looked at the research, they looked at like the charts, and they saw like index funds are going to do you well. You're not going to lose a lot of money. You might not make astronomical returns, but if you take those returns, you compound them over time. You can't really be too mad at that when you look at what your life looks like 25 years, years on the line, consistently investing in index funds. That's what we bought in the beginning. Yeah, now it's single stocks. Yeah. Right? A lot so, of individual stocks. Still kind of still kind of tailoring that portfolio. We kind of got it, let it get out of hand a little bit. I'm there buying some crazy speculative stuff. We own a lot of IPOs, which is kind of a good and kind of bad thing. We own Slack. We own Uber. We own uh those are the only two I can really think of right now. But yeah, we bought like all the IPOs that came out this last year. We bought them. Mm. Yeah, so you started off buying the safe stuff mm. and then branched off from there. 100%. You basically just wanted to start getting people comfortable just buying anything, right? Absolutely. Like the goal was, the goal was to take people who were consumer-minded and turn them into investor and owner-minded. And... That's why I would always get that question and they would say, well, what you guys ROI? And that, that question and our goal weren't the same thing. The goal, I didn't say my goal is to take people who are consumers and make them rich through investing. I said my goal is to take people who are consumers and make them investors. After they become investors, then we can start getting sophisticated. And that's what we kind of do what we did. We started just, let's get you into something that's safe. It's not going to go anywhere. These are 500 companies that are proven. They have a great track record. They have um, established presence in the market. They're not going anywhere. You're not going to look up and Exxon's gone. You're not going to look up in AT&T or T-Mobile. All these companies are gone. Um, so that was kind of the goal. We weren't looking for the ROI. We were looking just to kind of, um, I call it the ROE, the return experience, the return on you actually getting out there and learning and becoming an investor. Because as you are an investor, you start to become a savvy investor a sophisticated investor, an experienced investor. And then you start hitting crazy, infinite ROIs. The thing is, is the ROI that you can get on, a, on an ETF is nothing. You don't get rich off of 12%. You get rich when you become a sophisticated and a savvy investor and you start making infinite returns. You start making money without even using your money. That's how you make money as an investor when you're using OPM, 
And a lot of people out here trying to use poor people, rich people advice, <laughs> which is effectively like the advice to give poor people about money management, which is that series seven stuff I always talk about, where they say, buy for the long term, diversify, invest in the 401k. Nobody ever got rich out of their 401k. Oh, you need to do all these different things. Like they tell you these things that sound cool, but you don't get rich like that. You get rich doing what we're doing now, which is buying actual existing businesses. That's how Warren Buffett got rich. They always talk about it all the time. Warren Buffett didn't get rich in the stock market. Warren Buffett got rich by buying businesses. He bought Seize Candy, he bought American Express, he bought Geico, he bought really, really good companies. That's how you get rich. That's how BlackRock got rich. They bought companies. They buy real estate portfolios that generate income. You don't just get there by taking your paycheck and investing in the stock market and waiting until you die. You get rich by becoming an investor, becoming an owner's mentality to the point where you realize there's something that you can do with your money that's not just buying things. There's something you can do with your money that isn't just getting experiences. Like, no, you can actually be wealthy on paper, even though you're illiquid, but you got your money doing things for you in assets, in projects, in businesses. And that's where we are now because we took that step. We put assets in between our income and ourselves and our goals. Cool, cool. Um, it's funny you said something about the paycheck. There was a tweet. I forgot to put it down. You said people trying to live out of their paycheck. Um, man, I thought it had it. All right, moving on. That sounds like an Xavier tweet. <laughs> no, no. Right. I think it was. I think it was one you had about people trying to. Um, that you can't get rich trying to. To, to live out of your paycheck, try to get rid, rich out of your paycheck. But anyway, you, so you, one of your tweets said, they said we couldn't bring people together and buy stuff. Other communities been bringing people together and buying stuff. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about that. Obviously, um, that, was, that was the impetus for uh, Todd Capital. That was the right. whole point. I, I feel like what I was trying to say is like after we started doing it, there are people who came in and they're like, oh, you can't do that this way. You can't do this that way. They, uh, there's SEC regulations against doing stuff like that. And so we kind of took a step back and started kind of like realize like, hey, maybe we can't do that. But in other communities, that's just how they do business. Like, and that dates back not to just like American, like if you go overseas, if you go to like certain third world countries, they have those, I, never, I didn't know they, they did this. It's called like a paycheck circle where like certain nurses will put a paycheck inside of a pot and then each month one person gets like this fat check that they can just kind of use to do with whatever they need to do with. And so group economics is not even an American thing. Group, group economics, to my understanding, is a civilization thing where you have civilizations of people who are working together. And I feel like that's kind of why America is kind of struggling right now where we're competing against China, where everybody's Chinese. Whereas in America, it's like, oh, I'm a black American. I'm a white American. And so Chinese, it's just every man against everybody else. Whereas, whereas we're in fighting, we can't even win the fight at home. And so we can't really progress. And so um, I, would, I would just say that I, I posted something today and it was talking about like how a lot of times it's not even what you want to do that holds you back as much as the fear of the unknown. And so we talked about this on my podcast with Casanova Brooks, where he was talking about how like a lot of us don't lose 
not because there aren't opportunities we lose because we're so afraid of taking the opportunity. Or he said it a different way. He said that a lot of us are losing because we're not taking the opportunity, not because we took the opportunity and it didn't pan out. And so we're letting that fear, we're letting all these things that don't even exist. Fear is false evidence appearing real. We let these things that don't exist stop us from getting started. And then we don't get the results that come from getting started. And we blame everything else, but just our fear and our mindset. Mm. Yeah, something to think about. Uh, You said also, big shit, huh? So that gold looks really cool floating on top of the black. Yeah, yeah. This look pretty good, man. I like that one. Mine is mine is blue with red. Um. Anyway. Really? Why would it yeah. be blue? And red? Huh? Is it blue and orange or blue and red? It might have started off orange, or I started off red. I think it's blue with orange. I, I gotta check it out. I gotta see a picture yeah. of this. Yeah. Forget. You, should, you. I need a picture of you wearing the shirt anyway, for social right, media. Right. For right. promotional purposes. Right, 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 right. I'll wear it next week on the on the podcast too. Um, big shit always been the goal. <laughs> big shit makes us all rich. You cutting ties, chasing crumbs, shame. Um. Yeah, man. I feel like um, a lot of people got close to the Tide of Capital organization. And their goal was to run off and kind of do their own thing as opposed to investing into what we're building. And unfortunately, um, it kind of speaks to what I was talking about before. Like when I started off, I took what they gave me. A lot of people think that Detroit properties was the goal. Detroit properties might've worked out, but it was never the goal. And so a lot of people, they saw something work and they're like, oh, I found out what works. I'm shaking. And so now they have a bunch of properties that, may appreciate, may not appreciate. They're generating uh, rental income, but they're gonna miss out on when we start doing some real major stuff. Like even the barbershop, like if you stay down, you're gonna win when we hit the big stuff. And so I always tell people like, of course, uh, Microsoft created billionaires and millionaires and they, and they aren't just Bill Gates. So you gotta be around the Bill Gates, not just try to be Bill Gates. You gotta be around the Zuckerberg, not just be Zuckerberg. Zuckerberg is worth billions, but there's a lot of people over there working t- worth tens of millions, hundreds of millions. Um, Steve Ballmer, he's not the number one person at Microsoft, but he's balling. Um, Tim Cook, he wasn't the founder of Apple, but he's balling. All those guys over at Apple are balling. We need to build an Apple, not a bunch of little unknown companies nobody's ever heard of. And so I was also talking about this today where Brandon Turner, um, I, saw Brand- I saw Josh Dorkin post something. Um, he's starting another company, but He's traveling, living his best life. His company is booming. He put a CEO in place to run his company. Um, but you look at Brandon Turner, and Brandon Turner lives in, in Hawaii, doing, living great. But one thing I admire about Brandon Turner is he stayed down. He stayed with Bigger Pockets. He didn't say, dang, this is a great idea. Let me run off and create my own Bigger Pockets. No, he's a very solid individual. A very, he took Bigger Pockets to the next level with the podcasts, with the webinars, all that stuff. We don't want to do that, though. We don't want to make Thai Capital as great as it can be. We're like, damn, I need my own Thai Capital, fam. Like, Rockefeller exists because they all stayed down. 
you need people that are going to stay down because you need a Dame Dash, you need a Jay, you need a Big, you need all those people working together. Not a bunch of people like, damn, well, Rockefeller's working off, working out. Let me go create my own label and call it Rockefeller. But that's what people want to do. They want to run off and create their own Rockefeller instead of building a Rockefeller. And they wonder why we don't have a Rockefeller. They wonder why we don't have a this, a that. And so, like, that's what I tell people all the time. Like, you'll make more money growing within the Thai Capital brand than you will going out there and doing whatever the hell you want to do by yourself. And so that's why people that stay loyal get rewarded. But they run out there and they chase these jobs. I was thinking about this tonight. I was like, damn, the barbershop is kicking. The vending machine is about to be kicking. Um, the home is about to be kicking. I was like, we're stepping into big money. And to think that like, when you get like, cause I've never really been job heavy, which has held me back in jobs. I've never, cause you, it takes, you gotta be, you gotta, you have to have a certain mentality about jobs to really thrive in the job space, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Meaning that you gotta have drink in the, the Kool-Aid. Otherwise you're gonna hold back. I hold back because I know too much. And so I'm always building my own business because I know the business is going to save me. The job's not. You can give all, you're all to a job and they'll cap you out at a hundred grand or they won't, you're not going to be able to get to the true level that you can really get to. And I'm like, I don't, I don't got hundred thousand dollar visions for myself. That's not what I want to be at 50. And so I've always kind of struggled working a job because I knew after reading Rich Dad, Poor Dad, after reading all those books that the job was never the end goal. And so that's kind of, prevented certain things in the job space for me to happen but now my business is catching up but the crazy part about it is you can look like you're not like you're struggling as an employee but be blowing up in business there are people like they talk about the guy who was making thirty thousand dollars working his job went into business that makes 200 grand that makes 300 grand that makes a half million dollars a year but it's crazy when you look at your peers and your peers are still over there making 50 60 70 and they thought they were winning they saw you like building your business, just putting your little house together with bricks. And they were over there putting their house together with twigs and straw, partying up like the little bit, like the little pigs. You over there doing all this work and pretty soon they're coming to you to be in your house of bricks. So that's kind of what I was saying there. Got you. Shout out to the little pigs. <laughs> Use bricks. Uh, yep. People don't want People don't have any patience. They want to live now, and that's why they use working income to live and never get to the other side. That's, um, that's, that's the truth that you're talking about? Yeah. It's right here in my face the whole time. I realized that, like, I realized that, so the Todd Capital Millionaire podcast, it makes money Oh, I don't know if I should tell people this. I make money through the podcast, right? And what I've been doing is I'm putting it and I'm buying assets. And so what I realized is that your paycheck shouldn't be used for your lifestyle. If your paycheck is used for your lifestyle, you're extending the amount of time that you'll have to be attached to the paycheck. If you take your paycheck and you buy assets that then replace your income, then you win. And so um, that was kind of what I was thinking is I was like, man, like, yeah, we got the houses. Yeah, we got all this other stuff. And I'm like, dang, like, as I get these windfalls from different businesses, consulting businesses, all of the stuff, I'm just buying more income. So I'm not taking it and spending it to 
to buy stuff. I'm taking it and I'm buying more income. I'm taking income and buying more income. And I was mm. like, wow, like that's, it's brilliant. But people wouldn't think to do that. They wouldn't think to take their job and replace their job by using the job. It's like they say, like your job is necessarily, it's going to be your investor in your business. It's not going to, um, your job is an investor in your business. It's not something that's holding your business back. And so like for me, that's what I've realized now is like, I don't really despise the job, the nine to five. I go all in on the nine to five, 60 hours a week, 70 hours a week. I go all in, but I also go all in on my business too. And so like, I've realized that it's not necessarily that they're competing anymore. When I was a young lad, I didn't understand that. But now that I'm older, I realize you can do both and you can be great at both. And you can dominate both. Hey. And you kind of mentioned something like this before. Uh, looking like money is a surefire way to not have money. I had, to, I had to circle back. In LA, it's very easy to get caught up being flashy. It's very easy to get caught up having stuff because it's just a flashy environment. Um, but when I was working in Orange County, I was a very frugal person and I had to circle back to that. I'm like, man, like I had the most money and everything kicking for me when I was just like chilling, when I wasn't the freshest and the flyest and I was okay with it. Like you got to be okay mm -hmm. with it. It's one thing to just be like, like chilling financially and be mad. It's another to be okay with it. And so like for me, I'm circling back because I'm realizing like, if you like, say, for example, like if you look like money, you got to look like you got to have all the updated hottest trends right now. Everyone's wearing Fendi. So that means you have to buy all new Fendi right. because before it was like, oh, Louis Gucci. Now, like Fendi is the hot thing and Fendi is not cheap. So you got to go buy Fendi so you can look like money, because if you aren't up with the trends, you don't look like money. You look like old. And so what I'm finding is there's, there's always something new. There's always new Jordans, even if they look the same. There, there's, <laughs> there's always, there's always new Louis. There's always new Gucci. There's always new cars. There's always new debt. So you're constantly spending your money, which means you have a constant outflow of money, which means you likely don't even have the reserves that you should be having. And what's crazy about it is a lot of people out there, like they don't have these ultra successful businesses or these like, like great paying jobs. So it's like, where are you getting all this expensive stuff? I was on Instagram and I ran across some guys like in the projects, but you scroll their pictures and it's Yeezys, Jordans, Louis, Gucci, stacks of money, Lambo truck. I'm like, y'all live in the projects. How y'all got all this money? And it's like, that's probably why they live in the projects. They spent it all looking like money. You end up in the projects that you're not putting your, your money's not in the right spots. So the key in all this is to not just spend your money looking like money, to instead take that money, buy income, and then live the life that you really want. And that's why when I see people like Doug Dept or all these really dope people out there living their best life, I'm like, they did it right. They did it right. They're not out there going in debt. They're not out there doing all this ignorant stuff to be in Bali for two weeks. They did it because they hustled and they got there. They hustled when they didn't, when they didn't have to hustle. They sacrifice when they didn't have to sacrifice. And that's when you really win. When you sacrifice when you don't have to sacrifice, that's how you get to the next level. Like Doug Depp slept in a, in a basement or he slept in his garage. When he didn't have to, he owned the house. He could have lived there and spent all his money. But by not doing that, that allowed him to take his six-figure salary and invest it in more real estate. And then after you get that snowball rolling, the snowball starts to roll itself. 
So in the beginning, you got to take your own snow or your own whatever and start growing that thing. And then pretty soon, the mm -hmm. snowball's kicking itself. And so we just got to sacrifice. In the beginning, it doesn't take much to get started, but you got to get started. And you got to sacrifice to get that start. And you usually got to sacrifice when you don't have to sacrifice. That's when you really should be sacrificing. Yeah, hear that because it's too easy to just spend it all, man. It it's is. There's always somebody waiting to take your money. Yep. Spend it. Spend. They spend big money to take your money. Right. Marketing, research, all that. But spend your income to buy income. Interesting. Like dividend stocks. Um. Real quick, what's what's your opinion on Robinhood uh, doing fractional shares now? Or they they getting ready to do fractional shares? I think it's dope, man. I think it's very cool. Um, no, I have no real issues with that. I think it allows it kind of reduces that barrier of entry even more because right. before it's like if you can't only buy like if you can't buy Amazon, you might not want to buy anything. Or you might end up right. having to buy stuff that's not as good. But imagine if you could just buy Amazon, which is a great company, even if you only have 500 bucks, it'll get you in the market and you'll stay in the market. So I think it's a great idea. Um, it's something I've always wondered why it didn't exist. They had offered it through all those apps. I didn't like it because they weren't as reputable. Robinhood is a reputable company. I've been with them for a while. And so I kind of like, I like that they're bringing so many different things to Robinhood. One of the things I like about Robinhood is they're making other people kind of uh, come play ball. So I forgot who it was, but a lot of these companies are now um, Vallejo, the person who does our investment club software, they have commission free trades now. And so other people they are having to kind of like play ball. And so you wonder like, how do they make money? Well, they might, they make money from that bid ask spread. They make money because um, they can buy it and sell it at a different price. So it's like wholesale price versus retail price. When you buy it, like that bid ask, that's where they make their profit. And so Robinhood can still make money, even though they don't charge you a commission, which makes you wonder why were they charging a commission in the first place? Were they just double dipping? Or maybe the company gets the bid ask spread and then um, the commission, the salesperson gets the commission. I don't know, but I like that they're, they're making people play ball. Um, competition tends to favor the consumer, not necessarily the business. Competition kind of puts business right. out of business. So on this place, we're the consumers, so I'm all for it. Yeah, I mean, they put the that pressure on all these apps jumped up. Mm -hmm. And it was like, this app had one advantage, this one had another advantage, like Stockpile give you a fractional, but they charge you like a dollar commission fees. This one gives you this one, but it doesn't do that. Now Robinhood's trying to get them all. And they force yeah. everybody to drop their commissions even the big companies, E-Trade and all these guys doing commission-free trades now. So that part is really good. But um, here's what I was thinking about today. What do you think now is going to be the effect on the overall stock market when you have more and more people just jump, like more and more novices just jumping in the stock market, mm -hmm. just buying? Like you know, Usually when they say... Um, you know, there's a problem when the taxi the shoe shine, the shoe shine boy is giving you stock tips. You know, there's a problem. Mm. Um, so you think? I don't know. I, I I'm not really sure how I feel about that. Um, 
the thing about the stock market that's unique is for the most part, you're playing with your own money. Um, usually the problem that happens with uh, like bubbles is when there's leverage involved. Um, and so, I mean, if they start kind of getting reckless with the lending attached to these low barriers, that could be a problem because then they're playing with money that's not theirs, which could create like a, a uh, severe down whipsaw effect. Um, I, I, I don't know if, if having access is a bad thing. I think that we're talking two different things. I, I use that when we're talking about like Bitcoin, where you're talking about something that like people have never seen before and you have people who are just so convinced that it's the next, the best, the next best thing. In this instance, I think fractional shares has the opposite effect because it only allows people to invest in better companies. A lot of people with a little bit of money make poor investment decisions because they're investing the little bit of money they have in penny shares, penny stocks, cheap, cheap companies. Now they can put that same money into Apple or into Google or into Amazon or to these high or Berkshire Hathaway all these really, 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 really good companies. So it might actually have the opposite effect. And I think that the reason why, I mean, it's been tested out. It, Robinhood is not the first company to have fractional shares. They are just now bringing fractional shares to their platform. So if you wanted to invest in fractional shares, they were asked for that already. It was like Pile, um, all these other companies that Erica is very familiar with. Um, and we should get her on the show. But um, that's kind of where you see that. You don't necessarily, I, I, I don't really see the negative uh, aspect of that. I really don't. Okay. I'm just wondering. I wasn't sure. I was, I was thinking about it today, though. I mean, um, it's good to look at the potential downside. That's actually, I mean, sometimes I can be a little bit too optimistic. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, was, I wasn't. The cool, the cool thing about being optimistic is I was reading the Dame Dash book, and he was talking about how like, he's optimistic, too. I feel like to be an entrepreneur, you have to be optimistic. You have to believe that it's possible. Otherwise, why even try? So. Right. Right, 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 right. Why even try? We'll be right back. Um, so you, you were saying, now I know you, I definitely see you've been reading the uh, that Jay-Z book by Michael Eric. Dickinson. I'm glad Dickinson? you brought that up. Dyson. 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 Mike, Michael Eric Dyson. He has a new book out, Jay-Z. See, you've been reading that, and I know that influenced this tweet. Um, I'm not even sure. I'm not sure if this is the exact quote from the book, actually, or just you saying it. Just know that when you succeed in America and are a black man, that they can't wait to call it a scam, even when it's not one. I'm glad you brought this tweet up. So the book talks about different kinds of hustling and it sets it up. It talks about like, so it talks about how a lot of ways people feel, I'm not gonna say that it is this way, people feel that there's limited opportunities in America for African-American people. And so he said in response to that, people engage in these underground hustles like drug dealing or running numbers, pimping, that kind of stuff to make money. And we know that's illegal, we know it's not good activity. He said, but then there's also what's called bright hustling, which consists of people who create businesses, who um, invest in real estate, who um, get a high paying career, become lawyers, become all these different things. And those are called bright hustling. And he was saying that because of certain stigmas in America, even people that do it the right way 
can still be looked at as if they did it the wrong way. They can still be looking as if they're doing like shady activity. And I realized that like, we do it to ourselves all the time. People will say like, oh, you can't do that at Thai Capital because that's not legal. So basically what they're saying is that, oh, that's illegal because it's a brother doing it. But I told you other communities been doing it. So basically what he was saying, even like the Chris stuff, it kind of reminded me of the whole like Chris this whole week, they're going at him like, oh, it's a scam, it's this. And then you have like these guys on Twitter, like the two alphas, or one's an alpha, one's a kappa, the uh, Mr. N the 1906 aviator guy and the flip hat newt, they're like, oh yeah, they're taking down the watch guy again, talking about he was, he's a scammer, he's this, he's that. And so I realized like, if you succeed and you're a black man, they're still gonna try to knock you down. They're still gonna try to say it's not right because the system has been set up to keep you from getting getting to the top. And so they think that like, you can't get there because the system's set up. And so when you do get there, it's like, oh, it must not be right. And so it resonated with me because I've seen that and we do it to ourselves all the time. And this is very important for people to grasp and we can't look over it. And I said a lot of times, like I'll say something and people will look over, but we got to grasp this point. We have to realize that for some reason, when one of us makes it, even if he did it the right way, because he's African-American, we automatically deem it the wrong way. And so they did it to Jay Morrison. Jay Morrison did what he did. And now they're like, oh, it's this, it's that, it's this, it's that, even though it's succeeding, even though it's working. And the problem with that is this, we stifled the potential innovation that we could be creating. Because like I said before, we could have created a Snapchat. I'll, I'll never forget, um, we were talking about like taxi companies and how valuable it is to have like a taxi medallion. And now you can do an Uber, which makes you a taxi, you don't even have to have a medallion. And so Uber found a way to get around that. Airbnb, there's laws in place that prevents you from doing what Airbnb does. But some white person's like, fuck that, that law's stupid. I'm gonna do it anyway. And so we wouldn't necessarily do that. Or if we did do that, there comes somebody around us saying, no, that's illegal, you can't do that. And so we're stifling innovation. And when we stifle innovation, we stifle wealth because wealth follows creation and innovation, not competing over what's already created. So you can't see an Uber and say, well, damn, I'm gonna just be an Uber too. Like, no, you should have got there first, but you didn't get that first because you thought it was illegal because somebody said that you can't do it or somebody said that after you already are doing that, you can't do it. And that's what I was saying when I put that tweet out there. Yeah, and shout out to Chris Johnson, 17th Watches. Uh, Living his best go life. Back and, yeah, go back to and listen to episode 17 of Tweet Talk. Selling, stacking, and secrets to becoming wealthy with Chris Johnson. Shout out to my man, Chris, man. I don't know why uh, they keep coming at him. I don't know. I don't, I, we know why, but <laughs> I feel like I, I read these things so I know why it happens. Because in the beginning... You're like, damn, like, I thought, I, I thought it was cool. Like, why are they coming at me? But when you know why it's happening, you can chill on it. You're like, oh, okay, that's just what this is. And that's why I read so much to get exposed to different things. Um, I had a point I was going to make, but I forgot it. Oh, this is good. Yeah, well, let me ask you something. When, when, um, when you first started Talk Capital investing in stocks, were people going on, on social media saying, don't, 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 don't go with this guy, it's a scam? 
No, no. Oh, okay. I'm just, I'm just wondering. I it was more that, so. Just... It was more so once we started buying properties with group investing, because people automatically assume that if you're buying properties with multiple people, that it's a security, and it's not necessarily true, because you can have partnerships, you can have private partnerships. We're not out there advertising invest with us. This is what we'll have, and this is what you can buy in. And that's where the, the gray line is, but there's people who don't know and they think that that's what it is. And so that's what we ran into is we ran into like, damn, do we create a security? I don't know. And then to really do anything, if you decide to go like the crowdfunding route, it's thousands upon thousands of dollars. It's a lot of money. So, and I was like, I don't, I'm not spending 40 grand just to get some paperwork. Um, and so like, we kind of scaled back. Otherwise we would have been ramping up and probably advertising it more and bringing in more people, but you can't really do that. And so, like, that's the issue that I ran into. Oh, okay. All right. Cool, 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 cool. So, you said, are we, are we celebrating kids who pick cards for academics as much as we celebrate them for sports? That? Yeah, so this week was National Signing Day. And um, so, I saw a bunch of schools out there. Like, EJ Smith was probably the most – notable one that I've been following, which is Emma Smith's son, and he's going to Stanford, which is great. I love that school. Hopefully my son can go to Stanford. That's where we're trying to send him for ap academic purposes. Um, but what, what I realized by, is... Also by the way, by the way, for people listening, um, his son is not born yet. Just want to put that out. <laughs> speaking, speaking into existence, um, I, had a, I, had a, I was thinking about that. I was like, man, like I'm going to go hard as a dad, but I realized like I go hard at everything that I do. And so I started looking at like how I plan on being a parent versus how I see other people being a parent. And I was like, wow, like, I don't think they're going to go as hard as me. And so it's kind of interesting. But what I was going to say is that I would like to see, and maybe this is what the blessed black man can do. I would like to see us get so excited about where a kid's going to go to college where he can put the hat on and they like, I declare that I'm going to LSU. And it kind of, uh, there's a lady I was following and her son was going to school for academic purposes. And so she showed all the different schools he was going to. And I was like, this is super cool. Like he got into LSU, he got into um, uh, Morehouse, got into all these different schools, but she didn't show where he went. She didn't show what school he picked. And I was like, it'd have been so cool if they did something for him, like they did for all these athletes. And I was like, and that's kind of where, what the inception of the tweet was. I was like, man, like for him, it's just like, oh, this is where I'm going. But if it had been an athlete, it would have been a big hoopla. We would have made a big deal about him going to this big-time school. When it's one thing to get into a big-time school for academics, it's another to get into a big-time school for sports. They're not the same. Even though you get the same degree, it's not the same. It takes a different level of person to get there academically versus to get there professionally. And then what's worse is that even if you get there for sports, the odds of you going pro are very low. So what are we really celebrating? And then if you do go pro, the odds of you really lasting and getting money that's going to transfer your life are even lower. And so it's like, what, what are we, what are we celebrating? What's the celebration that he's going to be broken 10 years, but Hey, we're going to have right. fun for the next 10 years. Like that's stupid. Or are you going to send a kid who in 10 years, he's going to be just getting started. Like that's, we got to start celebrating the right stuff. We don't even know what we're We don't even realize we're celebrating the wrong stuff. Another way we celebrate the wrong stuff is somebody on Twitter was like, hey, man, having a pretty baby mama is a flex. I was like, <laughs> we still out here celebrating baby mamas? Like, 
Y'all crazy. So I had to correct him. I was like, having a pretty wife is a flex. And marriage is hard, man. It's hard. Yeah, I saw that one, man. Yeah. I had a, I went, clicked on it and went back and back. I was trying to figure out where, where did this come from? <laughs> it, still it still doesn't make sense. When I got back to the, like, the source of it, it. I was also going to take probably, back. Hmm. The guy who tweeted that is actually a pretty solid dude. Um, so I was kind of shocked that he tweeted it. Maybe I think maybe he was trying to say like, look at this, like look at this world we're living in now. Now having a pretty big mama is is, is supposed to be a flex. Uh, maybe I think that maybe that's what he was trying to say. Ah, uh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Uh, I saw that window. <laughs> yeah, that one was kind of weird. Um, quick big book recommendation for the listeners. Um, just yesterday, picked up a um, a new book, LeBron Inc. Like LeBron Incorporate, Incorporated. I picked that out. I gotta check that out. You would definitely like that one, and it's a quick read. I mean, I, I just started like last night. I'm more than halfway through it. Where'd you it's get it very from? I went. I took my kids to the library, and they were having like a little um, Christmas party there. I just took them there to just hang out for a little bit. I just happened to pick up, see the book and picked it up and started reading it while I was there. I said, you know what I mean? Check it out and just read it. I, I have the ability oh, to down, I have the ability to download EPUBs for free. So I'm, hey. about, to get, I'm about to have to check that out, fam. That I need all really the, good, though. I need all the business knowledge I can get. That one's really good. That one talks about... Um, like the writer is very impressed with LeBron's long-term thinking. Like when he was, I guess he was like, was he 16? I think he might've been 16 when Reebok tried to give, put a $10 million check in his hand, him and his mother, they were broke, living in projects. He was still in high school. He wasn't drafted, he had nothing. And they gave him, they wrote him a $10 million check to try mm-hmm. to get him to, to sign with them. And he said no. It was kind of like his, it was his master P moment. Yep. Except I guess his mother didn't argue with him. He just said, no, I'm not, I'm not taking it. And he was, he was thinking he just could get more. Or he wanted, he, he wanted a legacy. He was more interested in legacy than just big upfront money. I feel like he also kind of wanted that Nike check. Well, yeah, it talks about that too. He really want. He really preferred to be with Nike anyway. And even though Reebok offered him like a hundred million like guarantee, it was still like he really wanted to be with Nike. And Nike gave him a little less money. But he really wanted to be Nike partly because Nike had better stuff, better marketing. And Jordan, Jordan was part of the family, so that kind of swayed him. But also the it worked out for him in the end. But then they talk about they talk about that one was pretty much just a lot of money, and then later on you learned about the importance of equity, being a real partner instead of just an endorser, mm-hmm. and that's that's how he that's how he runs everything now, like Blaze Pizza, and how he was he got a part of um, Beats Beats by Dre. He got a little a little piece of Beats. He was endorsing them. He got a little piece of them. He made about fifty million when they um. 
Wow. He sold it. They said he, he got approached by Vitamin Water before they approached 50, 50 Cent. He turned that one down. But they said when he, when he saw how it went down and 50 made like 160 to 100 million, he kind of learned something from that. Like, you know, I don't think he really regretted not taking it. But he saw the potential in what having ownership in a company and taking a chance to mm-hmm. do. And so a lot. It's, it's a really good book. So I don't believe in reading just for entertainment purposes. I would like to know from that book, what did you take that you can apply to your life? Um, what I learned, but I mean, which I'm already starting to learn just from hanging out with, with you, bro, and certain people, or certain people that follow, uh, like Erica Williams always talks about this, is um, it's about ownership, equity. Apart from my own from my own working experience, like if I leave my job to go for another job, I want one that's going to give me stock options. You know, the it, it's better. You can just get more money anywhere else. But if you're going to go for a job and switch jobs, get the money, but also try to get stock options. You know, mm-hmm. it might not pay out, but at the same, you know, you won't lose anything really. Right. But, Equity and ownership is where is that? That's where where, uh, where that's what I'm getting from the book. And thinking long term, and thinking about legacy. You know, do you feel like jumping for the quick cash? Do you feel like after reading that book, that you have a different level of thought or like a deeper level of thought? Um, I, don't know, I think it's just, it's more it's more just adding on to what I'm already. Thinking yeah. right now, it's like it's pushing me a little bit more in the direction I'm already thinking of going. I like and it, it gives me a little more. Res- it gives me more respect for LeBron and what he what he's doing. I like it. Dope. Yeah. I love it. I love reading. I got to talk about the Jay Z book very briefly, but uh, the book is called Jay Z Made in America. Uh, author is Michael Eric Dyson. He actually did an interview on the Breakfast Club, and that's kind of what inspired me to read the book because yeah, me too. So that the was level cool. of the level of thought that this guy has is just profound. Like the the book is so well written. Um, he uses a lot of describing words, but not in a way that you can't understand it. Like if you read a book by Dr. Cornell West, you're like, what is this guy talking about? <laughs> but Michael <laughs> Eric Dyson is still like, it's a solid read. Um, he kind of, it, it, it makes you really understand what Jay-Z is talking about. Because I mean, even for example, like the book, the album Kingdom Come, Apparently, Kingdom Come is an ode to, like, these comic books. And so there's, like, after Marvel Universe, Kingdom Come, I guess, was, like, a series of comic books where all the other superheroes had retired. And then this new superhero came in, and he was kind of taking place of the superheroes that retired. And so Jay-Z was saying, like, he, the rap album kind of was, like, talking about Kingdom Come, and he was referring to himself as a superhero that had retired and then came back. And I was like, I didn't even know that. And I'm sure a lot of people didn't know that. And so he was breaking down albums, breaking down lyrics, breaking down everything, talking about social justice, talking about racism, talking about blackness, talking about finance and economics. He spent some time talking about Nipsey Hussle. Um, Very, very well done. Um, I only have an hour left in that book. Um, So looking forward to finishing it and getting on to other books that I have in the chamber. But definitely recommend you guys pick that one up. 
Yeah. And that interview was a very good one. I haven't picked up the book yet, but the interview was very good. Yeah. Like, the only thing I like you, hmm? the only thing I disagree with what he said in the interview was when him and Charlamagne were kind of going back and forth. And Charlamagne was talking about how you have to have multiple streams of income and how you got to make sure that you can launch it on your own if need be, which is something they took from Dame Dash. And the Michael Eric mm-hmm. Dyson kind of took the whole, like, well, it would be easy if you could, or, oh, well, uh, kind of like given all the reasons why, like, you can't, or like why he thinks like white institutions are better, why we can't compete. So, like, I was with him. Every, everything he said up until that point, I was like, I was rocking with it. But that one, I was like, nah. I didn't quite remember that part, but um, I really like the I really like the part where he's talking about cancel culture. Yeah. That I think was one of the best parts. Like this whole cancel stuff is just stupid. Right. It's like what do they know? These people, twenty years old, talking about oh, you said something I disagree with that I don't think is black. Therefore, you're no longer black, and your opinion is mute, moot. Like, that is so crazy. Since when do we only believe one thing a certain way, and if you disagree, then you're canceled as if you're not a part of the culture anymore, even if you add value to the culture. And the problem with that is that then when it's convenient, we use the, the, the cliche statement, black people aren't a monolith. So it's like, on one hand, you're canceling people who don't think like you. On the other hand, we're not a monolith. That doesn't make any sense. And we do ourselves a disservice when we shut down people who disagree with us. Right. Anyway, well, back to the tweets. You said you sustain a lot of business. The problem is the businesses are not yours. Man, I was up last night watching Dr. Boyce Watkins. That's a Dr. Boyce Watkins comment. Um, He always talks about how black people think they can't create wealth. Meanwhile, they create wealth for everybody else but us. So it's like you have all these all these stores, all these things in the hood. Somebody's getting rich off of that taco shop. Somebody's getting rich off of that fast that uh, fried chicken place. Somebody's getting rich off of that liquor store. Somebody's getting rich off of that gas station. Those can be our businesses. Those used to be our businesses. In certain parts of the country, those are our businesses. Um, you go to Atlanta, you go to Detroit, you go to all these different areas. There's black business out there. And so um, on the grand scheme of things, where I live in California, where you live in New York, in these areas, the business the businesses are not black owned for the most part, but they're black frequented, and so we give them our money. We keep their doors open. We put their kids through college. We pay for them to live in Beverly Hills. But that should be our wealth. That should be our Beverly Hills. That should be our kids going to college. That should be our safe communities that are patrolled by private police force. So that's kind of what he was saying is. He was making, man, there's so, it, it was really good. He, he just got back from Africa and he was talking about how there's so much wealth in Africa. And he was also talking about how like in America, how we do so well, but we think we don't do well. And he was talking about how like um, Americans, black Americans, if you were to compare it to like a basketball court, we might be the shortest person on the court, but we interpret that as if we're a midget, even though we're mm-hmm. six, six around a bunch of people who are seven foot tall. So it's like, yeah, certain elements of America might be seven foot tall, but just because we're at the bottom doesn't mean we're at the bottom of the earth. We're just at the bottom of America, but being at the bottom of America actually means we're doing pretty well. Um, and so that's, that was one thing that he said. Um, but yeah, it's, I mean, it's true. 
And we can flip that, and we have, and I think that we're starting to see that. There's so many black businesses on the internet um, that we can support and we can promote. So I got my 17th watch on, I got my Thai Capital shirt, I got my owner be own mug from uh, from Andre C. Hatchet. Um, I bought a 24-7 watch, bought two of those. Um, we have our own economy and it's only going to grow. I'm seeing more and more of us getting into real estate, getting into businesses, doing all this stuff. And so like where we were four years ago to where we are now is love. I'm actually very, very excited. I've, I feel like now, like there's no business that I can start that won't succeed because that's just the economy that we're in right now. Whereas before it was a grind getting, getting the business off the ground. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you my secret for how I make money on the podcast after this episode uh, <laughs> records. I don't want to broadcast to the internet. People steal. They be stealing my ideas and taking them for themselves and not giving me credit. That's how I've been blocking a lot of people on Instagram. I was like, man, like people would take my Instagram content, won't cite me, and then think we're cool. I'm like, nah, I'm sorry. I don't care how big your account is. You got blocked, fam. <laughs> Let's take a quick break. This is Elwood of Mindset Matters Tees. We offer merchandise with quotes that help shape your mindset. You can find us at www.mindsetmatterstees.com. So... One last tweet, and then we're gonna um, talk about the conference a little bit. Last tweet, I'm gonna paraphrase it a little bit. You can't change your skin color, but you can major in STEM. You can create an economy. You can keep the family together. You can move grandma in. You can buy property across generations. We can. Yes, I can. Um, the point of this tweet is I feel like in a lot of instances, comparing yourselves to white people as if they're the bar sets yourself up to lose because you can never be white. And so then your problem becomes, well, I can't win because I'm not white, but in America, the people at the top aren't even white. And the premise of this tweet was the Andrew Yang talking about he's a person of color. And I was like, Asian folks beat white people in wealth. They beat them in education. They beat them in business ownership. Income. Right. And so then I was like, well, actually the gap, if we're African-American people are still at the bottom, the gap should be, that should be analyzed is the black people in Asian gap. Now, granted, I think they get a lot of help from their government. I really do. I think they get a lot of help from their government, but we have a, a continent as well. I'm all about what can I do that makes sense, not what can I complain about that makes me defenseless. And so what I've realized is like, and that's why I like books like Triple Package or books that show you what people are doing in America that allows them to win. Black people alike, because there are black Americans who are winning in America. Don't believe the hype. Don't believe what the news tells you. There are Nigerians that are winning in America. There are Haitians that are winning in America. There are Jamaicans that are winning in America. There are Trinidadians that are winning in America. Um, and the, re- the difference is not their skin color, not the president, not the circumstances, not white people, but their mindset. And so what I was saying is that 
if we look at what Asians have done to get to the top, they didn't become white. They did certain things. They worked their ass off. They make sure their kids play instruments. They make sure their kids put education first. They make sure their kids just don't even consider playing sports. They make sure that their kids are doing all these different things. They start businesses. They practice group economics. When grandma gets older, instead of having her pay $2,000 for her apartment, they move her in and they let her keep her $2,000 to herself if she can enjoy her life. And so I bring that up and then somebody said, well, what about Nigerians? Well, they do a lot of dope stuff too. Like a lot of them become engineers and nurses. They go for high income in careers exclusively on purpose. They don't even mess with that other non-high uh, income earning stuff. When people come in from Iran, they all become engineers. They don't mess with that non-income earning stuff. Um, and so that's kind of what I was telling people is that we have to aim for that. We have to aim for what we can control. You can control all of those things. You cannot control being white. And that's all I got to say about that. And I hope people grasp that because that's always been my life motto. I focus on what I've always, I don't know where I read it, but I was like, you focus on what you can control. You can't control if they like you. You can't control if they're afraid of you. You can't control if they're going to hire you. You can't control all those things. But what I can control is creating other sources of income on top of my job, just in case they decide to let me go. What I can't control is making sure I still have income coming in on the weekends, just in case they decide to let me go. What I can't control is making sure that I don't break any laws, making sure that I don't do anything illegal, just in case they decide they want to like crack down on me. <coughs> so if we focus on doing the right stuff, everything else takes care of itself. It's like the tweet we said last week, if you do the right things, you can do what you want to do. It's yeah. lit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, real quick, I was saying something about income. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. I just feel like you got to say this. Um, for everybody listening, wealth is different to income. And please correct me if I'm wrong, Charles. But I saw this. I saw this post on Instagram like a week ago or something, and it was talking about Jay Z being the first hip hop billionaire, right? And some guy in the comments said. Does he have like, is that, do you get billing in income? Is that before or after taxes? <laughs> and I was kind of like confused. I'm like, because he said, I don't think he's making that much. I'm like, they say he's a billionaire. That means net worth, not income. Mm -hmm. And he was like, and people started saying like, Call him a paper billionaire. I'm like, well, what do you mean by that? Like, aren't they all paper billionaires? Like, I don't understand. Like, I wasn't trying to argue. I was like trying to understand what they meant. Like, maybe I was missing something. Like, what's a paper billionaire? Mm -hmm. And there was some somebody was saying like, they think all that's all his businesses put together are worth a billion. But he's not that he's a billionaire. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, wait, that's what a billionaire is. Yeah. That's just a worth a billion. And they were talking about, oh, but what about the income Jeff Bezos makes and this guy? I'm like, I don't know, man. Just whatever you say, my friend. Like, A wise person once said that 1% of a billion 
is more than people have ever seen, still they want to act like it's an everyday thing. And that person was Jay-Z. And he said that when they were talking about how much he owned of the Nets. And I bring that up because <laughs> you have a bunch of people in the comments who probably don't have $1,000 in their bank account who are over here talking about how somebody is a billionaire and not a billionaire. And the answer to the first question is that he's a billionaire by way of net worth, meaning that his net worth, everything that he owns, less what he owns or what he owes, owns is worth a billion dollars. And interestingly enough, a lot of times the way they value certain things, like they value a business, it's based on a multiple of the net income. It might not be net income, it might be earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization, the EBITDA. So what you do is you take that net number, you multiply it times seven, and that's what the business is worth. So um, that's how you can kind of determine what he's actually making each year. You can also kind of determine that because they actually disclose that. They talk about, if you looked at the Forbes, it actually talks about what each person made this year. And so we say, mm. and, they, and that's, I think that people think they don't look at that. Like they look at his net worth is a billion, but they also look at um, how much money he made this year. And I think Kanye topped him. I forgot the number. I put it up on my Instagram. I didn't put it on my uh, actual like page. I put it on like the story. So I don't have the number, but Kanye topped him this year. But it wasn't no small chunk of change. It was maybe like a hundred million this year, and I think Kanye made like four hundred million this year or something like that. He had an album, he had sneakers, he had some tours, um, and so I just feel like that argument is is ridiculous. And I'm at a point now where I don't even engage in that argument. Xavier said something pretty dope to me. I was listening to his podcast, and he was talking about how like when you say something that you know is true based on your principles and somebody else disagrees, that just means we operate on different frequencies. And so you can think how you think over there and I'm gonna think how I think over here and I'm not gonna spend time trying to convince you that what I think is right. I'm gonna just continue to execute on what I know. And that's kind of where I am now. I used to do a lot of arguing on Instagram and I realized all I was doing was educating people. And now people, like I go on, I go on Twitter now and there are so many people out there who think like I think and move like I move and they're talking about buying assets and being accountable for themselves. I'm like, this is crazy. Where did this come from? Because it did not exist four years ago. Um, so it's just kind of cool that we exist in that space now that everybody's kind of thinking along the lines of um, kind of how I've thought my whole life. But I think a lot of that has to do with who the president is because a lot of my principles have been conservative Republican principles for the longest time. And now that we have a conservative, Republic, conservative Republican president, people tend to take on those ideas as well. So maybe that's what's going on. I don't know which one it is. Shout out to Xavier too. Yeah. Um, so let's try to just talk about stock club is, is, is kicking. Real the real estate side is kicking. Barbershop is cutting. Vending machines vending. <laughs> <laughs> and got the um, Black Man Building Wealth Conference coming up in February. And for those who don't know yet, it's a virtual conference. It's going to be streamed online. Happening in February, February 29th? Yep, February 29th. It's a Saturday. 
and you can get your tickets on Eventbrite. Yep, Eventbrite. You can also find a link on the website that will direct, direct you to the Eventbrite. That website is oglesbeholdings.co. It's a new website named after my son. Hey, um, shout out to everybody that's uh, said they're going to speak. We have so many people that are going to speak. Uh, still adding people by the day. We got an investor. This brother is doing some massive stuff. He just revealed that he's doing a crowdfund. I want to say it's like 30 doors. He's going to be revitalizing a community in Houston. Uh, he's building out some townhomes right now. Um, also have um, Promised Land REI, who was a successful wholesaler out of the Detroit market. Also have Xavier, of course. Got Money May Do coming on. Shout out Money May Do. Um, oh, he, oh, money made this. Uh, yeah. So, um, anybody who's anybody is speaking. I think I have Jay Johnson, got Julian Gordon, got Andre mm-hmm. C. Hatchet, got myself, got Raphael if he wants to speak. Um, it's going to be powerful. It's so powerful that we're going to have to start putting together panels where we're going to allow most people to, multiple people to speak at the same time. So, we'll just have questions for that panel. Um, we're going to record it. So the recording will be available. If you purchase your tickets, you'll get the recording for free. If you just want to watch it on demand, you can watch it later on demand. It's up to you. Right. Um, right. But it's, it's going down. Tickets right now are $75, but they're going to go up in price. Please believe me. And I, I will begin um, some of these speaker, speakers on Tweet Talk. Yeah. I already talked to um, Trevor from Promised Land. Yeah, that's dope, man. I'm going to get him on. Um, hopefully starting next week. I like um, it. Teamwork. Building with conference, yep. Teamwork. Shout out to Raphael, man, for holding it down and not out here trying to do things without me. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to make sure you eat, man. I feel like, I feel like, I feel like we bring a lot of value to each other. This is a partnership. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I realized that because I was like, you know, like I create memes, you edit the show. I can create memes. I can create videos. I can add value to certain things as well. And I could promote it and put it on different platforms. And so like, that's what a team is supposed to be. It's not supposed to just be like Charles does everything. And so many partnerships that I'm a part of, it's Charles does everything. Mm-hmm. Charles rehabs the property. Charles manages the stock club. Paul, Charles does this. And so it's refreshing to have somebody who does as much work as I do, knowing that I'm going to do work, fam. I am not a lazy person. I'm going to get you what you got to get. I might even get you more than what you need to get. You might just be like, leave me alone, Charles, because I probably sent you a bunch of memes that you didn't post this week. Right, right, man. Second this week. You got, you, you're absolutely right, man. Actually, you did not but, send me a lot of stuff this week. You did not send uh, me a lot of stuff this week. All right, I respect yeah. that. I respect your comment. I was no, I was actually I, no, I was surprised that I didn't say anything, but I was surprised that you did. You usually send me a lot of stuff, and this week you didn't. I was like, hmm, okay, no problem. I don't know what happened. I don't know what happened. I, I, I got some stuff in the cut. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I said I I listened to the episode and I created memes as I was listening to the episode. Let me see this. Yeah, yeah, man, I can I. I admit it. Yeah, this, this. Yeah, I admit it. I admit it. I admit it. I admit it. I gotta talk to you about something else off the air too. But anyway, indeed. But definitely, people get your tickets. Black Man Building Web Conference. You gotta get this knowledge. We gotta move forward. Twenty twenty is a new decade coming. We doing. We gotta be doing big shit. Big shit. Big shit. Um. 
start <clears throat> getting your goals together, decide what you want. The progress you make in your life pushes us all forward. You know, any little step you take. It does, man. It really does. Like, and I think that's why we, that's why I, my business model is what my business model is, where I'm promoting other people and I'm kind of realizing that's what Thai Capital is kind of becoming. At first, it was just promote me, promote me. Now it's like promote everything that is real estate, business, entrepreneurial, African-American male success through Thai Capital. But what I realized is Jay Morrison doing Tulsa inspired investor Chris Senegal to do what he's doing, which inspires me to do what I'm doing. Listening to that guy's podcast on Earn Your Leisure this morning inspired me to do more. And so when you have people with the right mindset, they don't see your success as a threat. They see your success as, as inspiration. And so that's why it's so important for us as men to get out there and become that MLK and not wait on that MLK. And I always talk about that. So it's like become the MLK that we need, knowing that you're only going to inspire another MLK. Shout out to the cigar I'm about to smoke tomorrow. It's going down. Christmas, Christmas party. I don't drink anymore, so I got to smoke the cigar. Huh. This, we need to get a cigar talk out of that then. Yeah, man. IG live. We need an IG live, man. This is a good one. He should have cut it. He didn't cut it, which is unfortunate. I used to have a cigar cutter around here. Anyway, cigar talk, tweet talk. It's lit. It's lit. Black man, black man building wealth. Come we got to get some shirts made to promote the to promote the event. Mm. Yeah, and you need to add me on to the new site, man. Wait, okay, I could do that. I got you. Show me a picture. I'll do it tomorrow. Cool. I, cool. 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 Indeed, anyway, brother. Take a so out. Basically, the um. The whole point of this whole episode this week is pretty much we can do it. I figured that we was going to be the, I figured that was going to be it. <laughs> yeah, we can do it and goals might be t your goals might be tall but you got to start small. And basically we can do it. That's shout out to Shout out to the friends of the podcast, Terry Egioma. I'm an investor, trade and travel. Shout out to Erica Classy Klein, big real estate. Shout out to Hood Estates, their trucking course, their Hood Estates Elite is launching ASAP. Shout out to 17th Watches. Shout out to 24-7 Watches. Shout out to Soul for Soul Custom Podcast Case, or just Custom AirPod Case. Mm -hmm. And shout out, shout out to. Mindset Matters Tees, yep. Provado Life, uh, Tasha of Gotta Stay. Um, even shout out to our, our dude, uh, Xavier Miller. Yep. James Sun, former guest. Check out Andre C. Hatchet, the notary course. Also, um, make sure you check out the Gumroad store for Thai Capital. If you're looking for LLCs, LLC formation, LLC formation courses, consulting courses, option courses, long distance real estate courses. T-shirts, all that cool stuff. You can find that at gumroad.com backslash Capital. Check out the website, oglesbyholdings.co for my yeah, site. That's, that's Oglesby, O-G-L-E-S-B-Y, Holdings. And um, be sure to follow us on Twitter, Charles at Todd Billy, B-I-L-L-I. -L -L -I. Me, Raphael, is at Work Money Life. 
Uh, follow us on Instagram at Black Wealth Tweet Talk, at Bless a Black Man, for um, at Legend Billy, no, at Partner with Millie, at Todd Capital. I lost you on the sound. I don't know what happened. Yeah. Okay. We out. It's lit.